the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Isn't it wonderful that we'll never see the Lord again? That's why we make today a solemnity, said no one ever. And yet, here we are with not just a memorial or a festival or a feast day, but a solemnity of the ascension. Why? Why celebrate that he is gone from our sight? It's a question the world asks. It's a question that the devil answers. He answers in two parts. The first part is, well, you're on your own. Oh, he might come back, you know, someday in the great by and by, eventually. But the carpenter, he's an absentee landlord now. And you're all orphans. And he stuck you with a moral code that no one can live. But I've got a deal for you. You unprovided for orphans, you. Let me tell you all about it. And there are people who listen to that lie. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm pretty sure at least one person in this room has listened to that lie. Your mileage may vary. We misunderstand the presence of Christ, the reign of Christ. We made a great mistake moving the, uh, the, the, the festival of, of Christ in the end of the, to the end of liturgical year, the Feast of Christ the King, as though the kingship only begins with eschatology at the end of time. No, Christ crucified and risen is reigning right now. Yes, he will return in glory to judge the living and the dead and the world by fire. He surely will. He promised, and there is no lie in the Christ of God. But we have to understand how he reigns now. And we have to understand what it means that the Word made flesh, suffered and died, and was risen again. Since the very beginning, since the garden, the devil has warred against man and woman. Those intelligent creatures made in the image and likeness of God, composed of spirit and of flesh, has always warred against them. And the proof that we have believed his lies in every generation, that very terrible story is summarized in that crucified man behind me. We sinners took the word made flesh, son of God, son of Mary, nailed him to a cross, threw him in the dirt and said, that's what we think of your creation. That's what we think of your Christ. That's what we think of human flesh. So there. And our Heavenly Father took up the broken body of his only begotten Son and breathed life into him again and raised him from the dead and made his scars banners of victory and said, this is what I think of my Christ. This is what I think of my Son. This is what I think of human flesh. This is what I think of flesh and soul together. And so, of course, we recognize now that the gift of God that no one could have anticipated is that the world cannot satisfy or contain or confine human flesh. 
body and soul together as human is only fulfilled in the presence of the divine throne forever. And so human beings, that composition of body and flesh, that fleshly instrument, that fleshly instrument that has become a sacred vessel, has an identity and a dignity and a destiny that the Greeks could not have anticipated, that the moderns could not understand, and that the postmoderns could not even begin to articulate. And if you're not sure whether or not the contemporary world has rejected the Christian wisdom regarding the dignity of the human body, then look at what they want us to do to our children at taxpayer expense, of course, and call it affirmation. We must not be fooled. We must not be fooled. When I interview at different schools and educational institutions, I ask, how do you know you're doing it right? How do you know the process is working? Who can you point to and say, that's what we need? That's why we do what we do. So if we went to God, the creator, and said, that plan for human life, what, what does that look like? Do you have any proof of concept at all? And of course, he would point to Our Lady. So I would tell my students, pull on the thread and you get the whole rug. As soon as you hear the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we're off to the races. It is inevitable that we go to Calvary. It is inevitable that we go to the empty tomb. It is inevitable that we go to the ascension. And then it is inevitable that we go to the assumption of Our Lady, full of grace, having never rebelled against God Almighty, never knowing the stain or diminishment of sin, who can only love completely who can only receive love innocently without the least bit of guile. And so now we understand not only what our identity and dignity is as creatures of God, as sons and daughters of God, as a composition of body and soul together, we loved sinners. Now we know what we have to look forward to. Why this valley of tears cannot hold us. And now we can go back to the lie that we're orphans. We can go back to the lie that we're unprovided for. We can go back to the lie that the Lord has abandoned us by returning to his Father and saying, no, that's absolutely not true. If we go to our Lord's priestly prayer from John 17, he says, Father, glorify your Son. Well, to our American ears, when we hear glory, we think of, of acclaim and applause and fame. And no, the, the Greek word is doxa, a shining out, a blazing forth. St. Jerome translated it as clarify. Clarify your son. Let the fullness of his truth and his mission and his goodness be revealed. And clarity is related to humility. Humility is rooted in telling the truth, and the truth is we are sinners. Adam and Eve took all the gifts of grace that God had offered 
and poured them out into the ground and said, not for us and not for our children, any God but you. And God loved us so fiercely, so stubbornly. He would not let himself be defeated by his creation. And he decided to save us at a terrible cost to himself. And this is our great boast. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we deserve condemnation. Yes, we deserve hell. And we are love sinners. Washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. And so the very great heights of holiness and love and beauty and joy and glory and victory that God has bestowed upon his son, those same very heights are the heights that we ourselves are called to. And so rightly, he goes ahead to prepare a place for us, to show us, no matter what anybody else says, that this world is not our true home. It is not even our common home. As a little flower said, it's the ship for the journey, and then we leave it behind. And this is what we must do. Prepare to leave the ship behind. One way or the other, the journey comes to an end, either for us individually in death or for all of us when our Lord comes in glory. But we are to leave all of it behind to enter, please God, into the happiness of heaven. And when we do take the time to sit down and be still and be taught to behold the glory, to see the Christ of God clarified, we have to cry out, what are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our energy and our gifts? C.S. Lewis says we are far too easily pleased. He said we're like street urchins playing at the curb, making mud pies when we're offered a holiday at the sea. He said we foolish, foolish Christians, we spend our days chasing after money and sex and alcohol and a little bit of applause when the glories of heaven are offered to us. There is so much work to be done, so much good can be done. We dither staring into our screens. We dither preening before the mirror, sulking that we don't get the applause we sure that we want and need. And all the while, we can be doing corporal works of mercy and spiritual works of mercy and winning merit for ourselves and our beloved dead. Friends, this journey, this valley of tears, as much as it hurts, and it does hurt, as powerful as it seems to be, it is passing. Eventually, the veil will fall away. And for those who are ready, all our tears will be dried and we will see all the wrongs righted and all the good rewarded. We are not orphans. We are provided for. We are prepared for.
and we have a choice to make. We can choose to live looking up and see our Lord and Our Lady and all the, the communion of saints and the whole company of, of heaven crying out for us, join us, join us, whatever it takes. All the grace you need for salvation is yours. Ask for it, receive it, cooperate with it. Let us help you. And the people who come to church for 39 minutes on Sunday, who think they can gain heaven by throwing a couple of bucks in God's tip jar once a week, will respond with, is this going to take long? And meanwhile, our Heavenly Father is crying out, you are worth my son, run to me. Follow in his footsteps, follow in his bloody footsteps, follow under the weight of your cross, and he will carry it with you. Do we believe? Do we believe? Our Lord, before return to his Father, went to his apostles. He had been with them again and again, performing miracles. They still barely got it. Now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he upbraided them for their hardness of heart. Friends, we too have hard hearts and weak wills and dim minds. So on this day especially, in the presence of Our Lady and the whole company of heaven, let us cry out as we do in the Angelus. Pray for us, most holy mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. In the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Ghost.